It's our Christmas Eve service, so I was thinking about how to make it special for our kids who might be here, and I had the bright idea to do a children's message. I may have only done one children's message my entire pastoral career. It was uh, when Christmas fell on a Christmas uh, on a Sunday years ago, and there's a picture of my kids being practically babies back then. It's been so long, but we're going to try it again. And so if you are a child uh, in elementary school age, if you would come forward, I have a children's message for you. You can come forward and sit right here. Come on up. Looking very Christmassy. Will you? Well, yes, yeah, fine. I was thinking you'd sit right here, but that's okay. Wherever you're comfortable. Ben, how you doing? Creative approach to getting into that pew. All right, good-looking group here. All right, everybody settled in. So, do y'all remember what today is? Christmas Eve. Are you excited? Ben is. The rest of you guys are too mature to be excited about Christmas Eve. Well, I woke up excited about Christmas Eve. Well, we're going to talk about Jesus today, as you might expect. I doubt you're surprised at that. I'm going to talk about Jesus during the sermon. I know you're excited to be in here for the sermon. Before we talk about that, I want to talk to you about names. So you each have a name, right? Does anybody among you not have a name? Okay, I think you do. I think it's Ben. Now let me ask you this. Do you know what your name means? Okay, Ben knows what his name means. What does your name mean? Wait a minute. That's why I wanted the microphone. Hang on, Ben. You kids get to talk into the microphone. Let's see if it'll reach you. Okay. What does Ben or Benjamin mean? Son of my right hand. I, right. Exactly. Son of my right hand. Who else knows what their name means? Elias does. Jehovah is our God. Jehovah is our God. That's right. That's what Elias means. Gwen, do you know what your name means? My name means beautiful. Beautiful? Oh, what a fitting name. <laughs> Lillian, do you know what your name means? Bright and pureness. That's right, bright and pure and innocent also. Do you guys know what your names mean? Okay, well, I looked up your names. If anybody saw me carrying around a baby name book, I hope you didn't jump to any conclusions. I was looking up people's names. All right, let me, let me make sure. I flagged every potential child who could be here their name. Let's see. Those are the girl names. Okay, Caleb, your name can mean faithful which is sort of like loyal and trustworthy and someone that comes through on things. Cameron, your name might seem a little weird, but can mean crooked river. <laughs> so we'll see how that fleshes itself out in your life. All right. Wait a minute. That's Cam. Cam means crooked river, not Nathaniel or Nate. Is Nate short for Nathaniel? Okay, let's see. Not Nathan, but Nathaniel. Okay, your name means the exact same thing my name means, gift from God. That's a pretty good name meaning, gift from God. That's what my name means too. So your parents gave you these names, maybe in hopes, maybe they looked at the name meanings. People don't always look at name meanings when they name their children, but sometimes they do. Your parents gave you these names, perhaps hoping that you would live up into these name meanings, that Lillian would live to be uh, beautiful and innocent and bright, and Gwen would, would grow up to be beautiful, um, 
that's, that's perhaps why they gave you these names. Now, Jesus has a lot of different names in the Bible. Can you remember any of the names that Jesus has called in the Bible? Okay, Ben, you're... Your hand went up quicker than your memory. Messiah. Okay, Messiah. Good. Savior. He's a savior. Holy one. Holy one. Okay. Wait a minute. We'll do one more. We'll do beautiful. Uh, Saul? No, not quite, but that was a, an interesting guess. Emmanuel. Emmanuel, yes. That's a good one. Okay, last one. I am. Very good. Right. Now, God, so God the Father gave Jesus a lot of different names, but unlike your parents naming you, the Father didn't hope that Jesus might live up to these names. He knew that these names represented reality for what Jesus was going to really do and really be. So during the sermon, we're going to look at just one name for Jesus. It's the name that we know him best as, Jesus. Do you guys know what the name Jesus means? Do you really know? You're not just airing out your armpits? God's son? No, but that's a really good guess. I'll tell you what. Why don't you listen during the sermon to find out what Jesus' name means? And I really do want you to listen to the sermon. Okay, I wrote it with you guys in mind, as well as your parents and all the old people in the room. I didn't mean necessarily any one specific one of you. I don't know why you're jumping to those conclusions. I'm going to give you each a sheet of paper. You can use the front part of this. You've seen these before or the back. If you guys would draw a picture of something that you're hearing in the sermon, because we're going to talk about the story of Jesus' birth, I would love to see it after the service. Think you guys could do that for me? It can't just be some random picture. It's got to be something that you get, you hear me talk about in the sermon. You guys could do this too if you wanted to. That would actually be really fun to get pictures from you guys of things you heard in the sermon. All right, before I send you back to your seats, let's pray together that God will speak to us while we read his word together in just a minute, okay? Let's all pray together. Father, thank you for these children, and thank you that through Jesus Christ we all get to be your children. And now as we read your word and we think about your son Jesus Christ, I pray that you would speak to us, each one of us, however old we are, Whatever's going on in our minds and in our lives, would you please speak to us now through your word in Jesus' name? Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. Give them a hand. They were a good audience. And as they're finding their seat, you can find the book of Matthew in your Bibles. We're going to deviate from our path through the book of Mark and jump over to the book of Matthew. Since it is Christmas Eve, it's a special Sunday. What I'd like for us to do this morning is just walk through one scene of the story of Jesus' birth. One scene of the Christmas story, the Christmas history. And my hope is that as we do, we'll find that our faith in Jesus Christ is refreshed and reinforced. So refreshed. Sometimes our faith does need to be refreshed. Uh, We all, I can probably say, we all feel like we lead busy lives, full lives, maybe stressful often lives. Does anybody feel that this might characterize them? Oh, you guys are just so relaxed. Okay, a couple of you. 
As we go about living these full lives, sometimes full of stress and busyness and distractions, our faith can get a little bit baggy and saggy. Uh, If you ever had a pair of blue jeans that fit when you put them on in the morning, and then throughout the course of the day wearing them, somehow they turn into MC Hammer parachute pants, and you need to wash them and dry them to get them sharpened back up. Our faith kind of can get like that. It could just get loose and vague, and we can start to move around in our lives in such a way that we don't touch our faith. So as we walk through the Christmas story, our faith will be refreshed. It'll be sharpened up and also reinforced. Christmas time is a great time to stop and ask ourselves, can we really build our entire lives around this one man? Can we really base our entire lives around this one man that lived long, long ago, Jesus Christ? Because that's what Christianity asks us to do. The message of Christianity isn't, Jesus was a really great guy, just like all the other philosophers and teachers. You should incorporate some of his teachings in with the other teachings that you build your life on. That's not what Christianity asks you to do. Christianity says Jesus is the one way, the one truth, the one life. And you must abandon all else to build your life on his teaching and example, to trust in him alone for your eternal security, to live for him and even to die for him, to put all your eggs in this one basket. And that, that's a big request. That's a serious matter. I look around and I see many people that probably grew up in church, so you were probably more or less used to this idea from an early age when you were pretty receptive to things like this. But if you think about it with fresh eyes, that's a dramatic thing to ask of a person. Build your entire life on this one man. Can he hold up? Well, that's the whole reason that the Gospels were written. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are called Gospels. These are sort of theological, not really biographies, but they're theological presentations of Jesus' life and teaching. And their whole design is to refresh and reinforce the faith of believers. When Luke wrote his Gospel, he wrote it for a particular gentleman named Theophilus. And he said at the beginning of his that he wrote it, so that this believer might have certainty concerning the things he had been taught. And that's what we want as we celebrate Christmas together. Certainty in this. Are we really sure about this? John wrote his gospel, and deep into it, he explained why. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, These are written, all these things I've recorded are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So we have these four Gospels. Matthew and Luke in particular pay close attention to Jesus' birth, and the purpose for them is to refresh and reinforce our faith. So we're going to be in Matthew. We're really just going to look at a couple of verses, just one little scene. We're going to see that Jesus is absolutely unique in how he came and why he came. 
And there's many reasons why I believe that, yes, you can build your life on Jesus. And, yes, he does hold up. And, yes, he is worthy of your faith and allegiance. And this morning we're just going to highlight two from the story of his birth. He's absolutely unique in how he came and why he came. So first we'll look at how he came. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Probably pretty familiar to you. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Mary, really, biblically, Looking at Jewish custom, we can gather a little bit about what Mary might have been like. And I wonder what you picture when you think about Mary. I wonder what sort of person comes to mind, what she looks like in your mind. Now, knowing the way Jewish customs work, there's a really good chance that Mary was very young. There's a very good chance that she was a teenager. Now, to put that into some perspective, that means of the people in here... The closest in age to Mary might be Cassie when these events happened. Now, you're not all teenagers, but you can remember what you were like as a teenager, I think. And this likely was Mary's life stage when this was going on. And she was betrothed to Joseph. We don't have betrothal in our culture, but they did. It was sort of the second step of a three-step process of getting married. The first step, um, I've seen it called engagement, but it's really not anything like our engagement. There was not often a romantic kneeling down with a ring kind of romantic proposal. Often it was an arrangement between families, and it could even have been arranged right when the children were born, that they were going to be married one day. The betrothal period is this one-year period where it gets very serious, And now it's no longer just a sort of a loose arrangement between these two families, but they're entering into a legally binding period of one year to get their things together to enter into the marriage. And it was serious and binding, and the only way out of it was a process like divorce. So here's Mary, very young, in this, somewhere in this year-long period of betrothal to Joseph. Now, My kids and I counted this morning, and we have a total of eight nativity sets at our house. Not all of them are on display right now. We forgot a couple of them in boxes. But we have eight nativity scenes of different variety. I wonder how many you have in your house, if you have any. You probably have at least one. So I want you to picture your nativity set and picture who's there. Try to remember who's represented there in that scene. Most certainly Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus or at least a manger. Maybe, you're gonna, maybe your practice is to put him in there on Christmas morning. Some people do that. Probably some shepherds, probably some magi, probably some farm animals. Now, there's a lot of characters involved in the Christmas story that aren't pictured in the traditional nativity set. There's one in particular that's most likely missing. He's very important. Christmas story could not have happened without him. It's the Holy Spirit. Did you see that in the verse? Before they came together, she, Mary, was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
So we believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All eternal, all at work from creation on to the birth of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit was very important to Christmas. He gets forgotten. We forget all about him. But he's very important. The same Holy Spirit that hovered over the surface of the waters at creation. The same Holy Spirit that sustains creation and gives life to all living creatures. The same Holy Spirit that empowered and anointed all of the leaders of God's people throughout the history of God's people. The same Holy Spirit that descended on the apostles and and sort of blew them up with an ability to proclaim the gospel as the church began. The same Holy Spirit that enabled Jesus' perfect sinless life. The same Holy Spirit that we're taught indwells us as Christians and enables us to live the new life of a Christian. That Holy Spirit was the source of Jesus' physical birth. That's really bizarre. That's really strange. How in the world did that work? We don't know. The Bible just doesn't give us those details. What did that feel like to Mary? When did she first sense something was different? I mean, she was told before it happened that it was going to happen. But when did she first start to feel something different? It's so strange to think about this as history, as real, but it is. And no one else in all of human history came in this way into the world. Only Jesus Christ was born physically by the Holy Spirit. We can and do build our lives on the examples and teachings of a lot of different people. Your life, the way you live, the way you see the world is built on the examples and teachings of a lot of different people. Your parents, grandparents, role models, authority figures, teachers, philosophers that lived long ago, authors, TV personalities, God forbid, celebrities, blog writers, magazine editors. All these different people influence the way we see the world and the way we live. Now, recent history has taught us that it's very dangerous to put too much stock on any human being's example or teaching or leadership. Lately, if you've been watching the news, it's like every day there's a new allegation and we find out some new cultural leader has been living a, a grossly immoral life behind the scenes. And it throws into question everything that we thought we knew. It's been newscasters, it's been political leaders, and it's been... Uh, pastors. Meredith and I recently heard of a minister that we have respected and really learned a lot from that apparently has been living in secret sin and hiding it, which it just throws into question everything we thought we knew about him and from, from him. It's foolish to build our lives on one person because people are inherently sinful and unreliable except for one. Jesus Christ is the only, only person that you can build your entire life on for many reasons. But for one, because no one else came into the world the way he did. Nobody else came into the world like this. Franklin Graham has Billy Graham as a father. 
That's great, but that's nothing compared to having God himself directly as your father, born physically by the Holy Spirit. Nobody else is like this. You cannot put too much faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot put too much stock in what he says. You cannot rely on him too much. You cannot depend on him too much. The more you can rely, depend, and build your life on him, the better. He's absolutely unique in how he came. He's also absolutely unique in why he came. And that's what we'll find in the following verses, starting at verse 19. And Mary's husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, maybe Joseph just didn't believe Mary's story about this miraculous virgin birth from the Holy Spirit. Certainly, she would have told him this is what's going on. Maybe he didn't believe her. Would you have believed her? We do know that Joseph was a pretty good guy. He was just and merciful. He was just because he wasn't going to go through with marriage to an adulterous woman by all appearances. Seemingly, she must have been adulterous to be pregnant before they were married. But he was also merciful. He wasn't going to go on a Facebook rant about it publicly and let everybody know what happened. He knew that that would endanger her life and would certainly expose her to public shame and humiliation. And he wasn't going to do that. He resolved to divorce her quietly. He was also a thoughtful person, as we see as we move on into verse 20. But as he considered these things, mulling this over, was trying to figure this out, this woman that he was planned to marry, they were in the betrothal period. It's very serious. Now everything's turned upside down. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So maybe it wasn't so much that Joseph didn't believe her. Maybe he sort of did believe her, but he was afraid. The angel's message to him isn't, you can believe her, it's don't be afraid to marry her. Either way, he had a fitful night of sleep one night. Have you ever had a fitful night of sleep? A lot on your mind, a lot to figure out. Some major life change, something unexpected has happened, and you just toss and turn. I know the children, many, will have a fitful night of sleep tonight because they're anticipating Christmas morning. But this wasn't a fitful night of sleep because of anticipation. This was a night of emotional turmoil. And an angel comes to him in a dream, says, Don't be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. She'll call his name Jesus. This is a common name. And here's the name meaning, kiddos, if I've lost you. Here's what the name Jesus means. It means the Lord saves. It can almost be translated and mean God to the rescue. That's what the name Jesus means. And there's lots of people that had that name, but none of them fulfilled the name the way Jesus did. Jesus, the Lord saves, God to the rescue. Now, as we, as we warm our faith by the fires of Christmas 
together. It's Christmas Eve. It's a good opportunity to stop and remember, why did he come in the first place? Why did Jesus come? Our Christmas traditions can make it feel like a warm, cuddly, soft visit, like a visit from a neighbor with a tin of cookies. But it wasn't. It was a daring rescue mission. It was more like a Coast Guard diver plunging into the choppy waters of our sin to pull us to safety. It was a rescue mission. He came to save us, to rescue us from our sins. Sin, as you probably know, is the bad that we do and the good that we don't. Sin is the bad that we do and the good that we don't. And it's going to be most helpful to you to receive this passage, to get in your mind your own sin. And you have it, because you're not perfect like Jesus. So get in your mind your own sin, the bad that you do and the good that you don't. It all flows from either worship or service. Those are the two great commandments. So think about the idols that you have cherished in your heart above God himself, the one true God. Think about the ways in which you have not worshipped God, the ways in which you have made decisions and lived your life and used your words and used your resources in ways that don't reflect that he is the most worthy being of all creation. Now think about the ways in which selfishness has expressed itself in your life. Think about the ways in which you have failed to love your neighbor as yourself, the people around you, in your home, on your block, in your work. We all have sin. The Bible teaches that we have all sinned and fall short of God's perfection. Now the startling reality is, and we need to remember it often, is that our sin doesn't just complicate our lives. It doesn't just mess up our relationships with one another. It damns us. Our sin separates us eternally from God. And without divine intervention, we're doomed. It's so very serious. The good news of Christmas is that God loved the world so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, so that all who believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life through him. You know, some, maybe many, among us and definitely out there, are, if they're honest, having an awful, awful Christmas. It's just not a fun Christmas this year because of sin. Maybe you've hurt somebody and you're dealing with that as you enter Christmas. Maybe somebody's hurt you and you're dealing with that as you enter Christmas. Maybe your family is just in a tangled knot of sinful turmoil because of decisions made and words said. And so you're limping into Christmas. And if you're honest, what the words that come to mind when you think about your life right now are things like guilt or anger or resentment or shame or regret or fear or bitterness, or brokenness. I want to remind you this morning, the morning of Christmas Eve, that sin doesn't ruin Christmas. Sin can't ruin Christmas. Sin is the reason for the season. Christmas is all about 
dealing with sin. Now, sin can ruin the nostalgia that we want to create. It can ruin the, this vision of the perfect family life that we wish we had. It can ruin those things. But it can't ruin Christmas. I remember a movie that I watched when I was a kid. I think it was called Funny Farm. It had Chevy Chase in it. And I remember that they wanted to sell a house in a town where their lives had been nothing but miserable. And the townsfolk didn't help with that. And so they paid everybody in the town to try to act as if it was this picturesque, Norman Rockwell-style, perfect place to live. And they thought, if just for just the few hours while these prospective buyers are here, if we can make it all look and feel and seem perfect, then we'll be able to sell our house and everything will be fine. I think a lot of times we Americans face Christmas that way. If we can just pull it off for just a couple hours... If we can make it seem perfect, if we can make our family life seem right for just a couple hours. And then when sin intrudes and messes it all up, it's so frustrating, so disappointing, so disheartening. I just want to remind you that that's what Christmas is really about. is dealing with all that sin, all those consequences, all that mess that we create. It means sinners and the victims of sin can have hope. It means that those words I just listed, guilt, anger, resentment, shame, regret, fear, bitterness, brokenness, can begin to be replaced by words like forgiveness, cleansing, freedom, restoration, reconciliation, newness, hope. We Christians, when we say Merry Christmas, that's what should be in our minds. The other stuff's great. I mean, it's great. enjoy that other stuff as much as you have the opportunity to. But if you can't, all is not lost. Because the main meaning of it is that. The good news that Jesus Christ came to deal with all this sin that has accumulated on us. Separated us from God. Jesus was absolutely unique in how he came and why he came. He's the only one born physically of the Holy Spirit. He's the only one who came and is capable of saving his people from their sins. So the best way to celebrate Christmas is to refresh and reinforce our faith in Jesus Christ. The gifts, the food, the family, the Christmas movies, all that's fun, great and fine. It's good stuff, gifts from God. But the core of it is confessing our sin and repenting and being freed from it. The core of it is receiving forgiveness from God through Jesus Christ. The core of it is being so filled with that forgiveness and grace and mercy that it overflows onto the people in our lives. The core of it is being able to forgive the people who have genuinely sinned against us and wronged us because of what we've received from God through Jesus Christ. The core of Christmas is new life through Jesus Christ that enables us to worship God, to love our neighbors as ourselves. So no matter what's going on, we all have a lot to celebrate this Christmas. And we can absolutely build our lives on Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for loving us that much. Thank you for being merciful and gracious toward us. Because we don't deserve that. 
Lord, I'm so thankful that Jesus lived the life that I have failed to live and died the death that my sin has earned me. Lord, let each and every one of us trust in him as our Savior. Let each and every one of us follow him as our Lord this Christmas. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.